Savon Springer is the owner and founder of Native Assets. Any views expressed by Savon or his guest are their own thoughts and opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Native Assets or the guest's respective employer. Any guest appearance by representatives of Web3, NFT, crypto, or any other kind of organization does not constitute an endorsement by Native Assets or the guest's respective employer. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be mistaken as financial advice. Always conduct your own due diligence and consult a qualified professional when considering any investments of any kind. As the internet becomes an increasingly critical thread woven through the fabric of society, a persistent immersive layer dubbed the metaverse is emerging. Many throw the term around with little understanding of its nature. Few are the folks who've chosen to build this future. While this amorphous realm is not a singular place or location, but more of a network, certain players are better positioned than others when it comes to creating a world immersive and engaged enough to attract users at scale. One such player is Yuga Labs, the team behind Board Ape Yacht Club and the other side meta. While it's easy to see the front-facing progress, it's rare to get a glimpse at what's running under the hood or where things are heading. Today's guest is one of those rare individuals who's privy to much of the behind-the-scenes work that goes into projects like the other side meta. Having worked on the staking protocol behind ApeCoin, as well as the underlying infrastructure for the other side meta, please welcome Head of Business Development at Horizon Labs, Rohan Honda. Welcome to the show. Thanks, everyone, for having me. Glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, as we kind of jump into this, if you could give like the, you know, two, three minute overview of uh, who you are and, and what it is you do at Horizon Labs before we get a little bit deeper into uh, some of your thoughts that you have on the metaverse, how to value it, how to assess it, all of that. Yeah, absolutely. We'd love to. Um, so I'm the head of business development at Horizon Labs and Horizon Labs is a Web3 solution provider that works with both uh, Web3 native projects as well as Web3 curious ventures. So the two buckets basically carve down, as you rightly mentioned, Yuga Labs becomes the Web3 native, right? But on the Web3 curious, you can think of companies like gaming studios who have had tremendous success in the Web2, but now are exploring uh, how to use blockchain and crypto technology. We help them lay out their paths uh, to Web3 and crypto uh, solutions, as well as identifying what's the best way to launch their fungible token, if that's a part of it, or non-fungible tokens, if that is a part of it. So it's been a very exciting journey uh, trying to work with all of these projects. We are set up as an end-to-end service provider. What that means is we help on the white paper, the tokenomics, uh, we work with the legal advisors who bring in the right corporate structuring, understanding of the landscape as it evolves from the regulatory compliance and SEC and Fed side of the house. Um, we help with the uh, you know, financing strategy for various projects, uh, understanding the landscape from the market making and exchange inside. So help facilitate those conversations, understanding of DAO day one uh, um, you know, proposals. Um, how to set those up, what should be going in, and how do you maintain that post-day uh, one launch. And then also thinking about liquidity on day one, how you should be structuring the price and uh, everything in between, doing the market uh, research, study, market comps. And then also, you know, the strength of our team really lies in the smart contract development and auditing. So we have our own in-house smart contract development team that works with projects to build that out. And we work with a lot of other third-party providers who help audit those projects, right? So once the code is live, you don't want any uh, issues to happen after it. 
So we make sure all of that gets tied down. That's where we position and we continue to work with some of the best brands in this space. Okay, so so you said a lot there. And as I'm sitting here listening to you, as you said, full end to end, that's quite a comprehensive offering. And one of the things that first comes to mind is how do you all put together a team that's capable of doing this? Because it's it's still such early days. And to be able to land clients like Yuga Labs and, and other non-Web3 native firms, uh, what has that journey been like? Because uh, I noticed that you've been in this space for a while. You've advised projects like Rarible. You've helped advise other DAOs, uh, even saw that you were an investor in OpenSea. So it, it takes a lot of kind of being on the front end to, to really get in a position where you can do that. So uh, what has overall been kind of your approach to, to building out and, and figuring out who would be ideal fits as far as clients for Horizon? Yeah, it's it's an iterative process. There's no one single answer, right? So the mindset um, that I've been trying to seed in and kind of grow on within the organization at Horizon Labs is think of all the bets that we are taking, like how an investor would, right? Because we are so early in this space, there is going to be a lot of room for learning. That means learning can happen only if you do something wrong all right, right? And more often it's the wrong things that you end up doing that allows you to grow and build on top. Um, so when I joined the team, we were just, uh, we were a very small team. I think we had a little over 30 people in the organization. Um, and when I say the organization, there's Horizon Labs, which is this end-to-end -end service provider. But we also have our own native blockchain ecosystem that's, uh, that's you know, develops and supports the uh, L1 layer called Horizon with its own native currency, Zen. So when I started, the team was very small, but I knew from the very beginning that I wanted a diverse group of individuals and people who not only have experience within the crypto and Web3 landscape, but also outside of it. Because what that brings is helps you poke holes in areas where being in, in a field long term may not allow you to do so, right? So with that diverse experience, you can start bringing in the strengths of each of those team members to support it. So that allowed me to structure the team such that we have a what you call a traditional partnerships team, right? Which manages the day-to-day -day relationship with the projects that we work with. Backed by it is our token research and analysis teams, right? That comprises of members who have been in this space, understand the lingo, understand the language, are deeply embedded into the NFT space, understand the DeFi space. So that becomes that core element, which allows us to do a lot of creativity. Now, the token research, as a lot of folks in the market would call this, or tokenomics, as a lot of folks in the market would call this, Ponzi-nomics, we want to stay away from that, right? So we yeah. make sure the research and the work that we do is vetted by folks who have been on the quantitative side. So we have our own investment analysts that kind of uh, make sure um, the way we structure the supply and the demand side, the way we structure the financials of the eventual tokenomics are, uh, are at least optimized if it's not the best in the market, right? So we have checked all the boxes that you would do typically in a due diligence process, from a financial ana analysis process, from understanding the right supply and demand side of the market that you would do for any early stage startup because that's where most of these projects end up uh you know uh, get getting compared against uh, either way so having that at, at that thought behind who you want to bring in how you want to structure the team is very critical and 
on the back of all of this is a very smart and sophisticated team that looks into the technical aspects of projects. Like when the client asks us, okay, can you do this on the blockchain? Do we need an L1 and L2? Do we need um, to have uh, you know two tokens? That's the token researchers that would do the research, do the market comms, provide you the best solution. But then it comes down to the solutions architects that we have in-house that identify, okay, is this technically viable or feasible, right? Can you actually implement this? And they work very closely with our product team, kind of fine-tune a lot of those answers. So there's a lot of madness uh, that, 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 that goes on behind the scene, uh, which then eventually results in a successful launch like we had with ApePoint. So long answer short, it's a very um, intentional way of setting the team with a lot of different skill sets, but at the end, making sure that we have uh, covered all different angles uh, for any given project that we end up working with. Okay. And um, I want to pull out a few more questions than maybe I originally intended uh, about this kind of side of things while we're here, because uh, because I definitely find people listening to this either want to start their own uh, Web3 based uh, product or platform or they want to work in the space in some capacity. So two questions. One of them has to do with these sort of qualities that you find are consistent amongst some of the people who are the best performers, best achievers and folks that really catch your eye that you think, hmm, they could be a great addition to this team. And then the other question is more about projects, right? I imagine uh, there's a bit of a variance in the scale of the projects that come to you. Not everybody is a Yuga Labs, uh, but I also imagine that some smaller firms might come to you and they may want, you know, a piece of what you all can provide. Maybe they just need help with the tokenomics. Maybe they need help with the architecture. But out of the projects that you've seen, what tends to be the most challenging part of what they're launching? I know that might be a, a bit broad of a question, but feel free to take uh, either one of them first, and then we'll transition over to the conversation more about the metaverse. Absolutely. No, I think those are really great questions. So let me start with first on what I'm looking when I'm uh, hiring someone to the team, right? So again, breaking it down, one from the business side of the house, the other one is a technical side of the house. On the business front, as we have evolved, as we have seen the markets evolve, what I'm really looking for is someone who understands the markets inside out now, right? And, and what I mean by that are, have they even bought an NFT, for example, right? How, uh, how closely they're tied with the uh, DeFi ecosystem? Do they understand the space, right? Maybe, and, and what's even better is they need to be, you know, deep in at least one or two subject areas. There's so many to go, whether it could be a DAO, this could be NFTs, it could be fungible tokens at broadly or DeFi, uh, gaming, right? You need to have some level of deeper understanding in one or two of those areas to pull information from, to provide input into, uh, into various projects that we work with. So eight, I definitely look for that. And that's actually part of the process, interview process that we even have with uh, the folks, right? And two is how quickly they're able to own things either you know they're related to their past experience or they've been doing something on the side that showcases okay this person is a self-starter right i don't need to hold this person's hand because that's the nature of the game because space is evolving so fast the inbounds that we have is so high i want to make sure that okay within 30 days or 60 days you're able to 
you know, self-start any given conversation without my or anyone team members direct input. So that's the rigorous aspect to it. And that is typically tested during our interview process where we ask candidates to, um, to, to have a real life scenario and present a case to us. That requires a lot of research and thought uh, process in terms of how do they think, how will they interact with clients, and can they actually take ownership of, uh, of holding a conversation that, that makes sense, uh, both in, in, in respect to uh, crypto and in general, more from a business side of the sense. So all of those areas really need to be covered for me to be excited about someone to be on my team. Okay. Thank you. Listen, take notes on that. All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the other question, as you talk about the projects, um, I think there's, um, and, and I, if I'm just, if I just, uh, re, you know, revalidate the question, what you're asking is like, how do we select the projects when we are onboarding them and we, we look for work for them, as well as uh, what are some of the challenges we come across uh, while we are working on any given project? Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So from a project onboarding perspective, I think the few things that have become very clear, right? They're, because we at Horizon Labs ourselves are a very small team, we don't necessarily have the broad bandwidth of educating very large institutions who are just getting their feet wet or are just looking for a proof of concept, right? We run lean, we have our strengths, and we want to make sure we double down on that, right? That means um, projects that need a lot of handholding are typically not the right. Uh, project for us. Okay. What I mean by that is you can have someone who has heard of uh, NFTs or real estate business. We would love to work with it, but there's a certain level of education that goes into uh, educating uh, a certain uh, vertical within the market, right? And on the other side, there's another where they have experimented a lot. They haven't really been able to figure out how to go about it. Uh, but they have taken steps, right? They have launched their NFTs, tried and tested, hasn't worked out. So there's an ingrained mindset of using the technology base to move forward, right? They don't see this as an obstacle, but as an opportunity. So those clients become ideal for us. And even more so when you don't have too many regulatory uh, barriers to, to come with, you want to avoid those, right? Because that, that means while we'll start work, we'll uh, kind of, uh, you know, shake out in the middle because there's not much clarity from uh, external forces. So, both gaming studios, open metaverse projects, um, you know, entertainment. These become the uh, the right opportunities, ripe opportunities to take a hold of and and work with. So that's where a lot of my team's focus has been on uh, to work with these, and it's 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 pretty cool <laughs> to see how different things kind of come together. Especially when you're talking about like a gaming studio, for example, you know, mm-hmm. they're successful already. Now you're starting to see they're using new technology to enable uh, and bring in even more users into the ecosystem. So that would be how we're thinking at a high level on what kind of projects we want to work with. Um, obviously, there's no exact science, so we mm-hmm. still look at it from a case-to-case basis. Now, to the question around what typically uh, is, is the biggest area of you know, opportunity creativity within a project um, is I would say 
or, or the challenges that a lot of projects face is around figuring the tokenomics piece, the token design, mm. right? I thought that uh, might be the case, but yeah. was curious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think it, we have evolved from just the pure token drop to, okay, why the token drop, mm. right? What is the utility? What is the business model behind that? How, how, what will this token really be empowering? Um, so all of those questions typically need to be front loaded uh, now, right? You want to spend a lot more time understanding the nuances because um, we have gone from just pure wild, wild west. Okay, now they're operators, they're creators. Now let's bring them together with the right business model in the back end. And now the business model, a lot of times, is driven by these tokens, at least in the decentralized world, right? So I want to make sure there's the right business model for the tokens that are going to be launched. So that, that's an area where we spend a lot of time. The other is around the legal uh, aspect, right? The corporate structuring. Well, I'm not a lawyer and I don't, <laughs> I would not feel comfortable <laughs> going deep into it, but that's where we see uh, you know, a lot of partners trying to wrap their head around, okay, like, why do we need to structure it this way? Why cannot not be in the US? Why do we need mm -hmm. to have an entity form outside, et cetera? So that, that's the area where a lot of education goes into place. And then lastly, it's around the, uh, DAO uh, setup, right? Okay, you launched DAO. What about it, right? What happened <laughs> after day one? Okay, what about day 30? Like when you have thousands of proposals uh, being launched on your platform, like how do you manage that? How do you manage the treasury? How do you manage the accounting, finance, the disbursements of documents? Who makes the decision? So those areas will, I think in the foreseeable future, still remain very uh, deeply entrenched in the way projects get set up and there, it will require a lot of hand-holding, uh, so to speak, right? Because you cannot come up and create product that launches a, a token strategy based on certain levers. It has to be very project-based, right? There are a lot of products that are coming out that are trying to solve and automate a lot of it. But I think where things get a little tricky is around Okay, how does it speak to the broader ecosystem? What about the community sentiment? What about uh, the corporate structuring? What about the legal structuring? Like, what's your financing strategy? So there's a lot of moving pieces, but those two areas, as I mentioned, are typically where a lot of time gets spent and a lot of uh, challenge teams find as well while trying going through those phases too. Excellent. So let's go ahead and switch gears a little bit. And because uh, I think I... Some people who may not know, if you, if you haven't seen Rohan, he puts out a lot of thought pieces, a lot of writings on just his thoughts on the space. And I noticed one last week that was about effectively valuing or ways to assess the value or the potential of land in the metaverse. Now, uh, I'm sure you do as well. Many people listening, a lot of us know people who are in real estate in, you know, IRL in, in the physical, tangible world. And for a lot of those people who are not in crypto in any way, shape or form, when they hear about land, on a computer in this metaverse and anybody who might spend money for that land, they're aghast. They can't understand it. They don't believe it. They, they, they think it's, there's no value there. All right. Now, from your perspective, that context you set, so we really understand day in, day out, this is what you do, not just land, but all these other components. How would you open up the conversation if someone just initially said, you know, well, first, if you could explain the concept of, in your words, what the metaverse is, what land is in the metaverse, and then on to the value proposition there. 
Yeah, um, and I think that's a very good question. <laughs> I, I should have written down like one or two sentences that simplify that, <laughs> but I, I'll try my best here. So, you know, as you know, the idea of metaverse itself, it's not new. It mm-hmm. has just taken a form of its own. What it really essentially means is where people from three-dimensional, well, not even three-dimensional, in in real life, find a way to escape and meet their compadres, their uh, friends, and their people they don't know in a virtual setting to do certain activity. In the past, so far, it has been playing games. Now that has evolved to playing, uh, you know, participating in concerts. In future, people will be building together within this space. So I see it basically a virtual gathering space uh, where people are either trying to escape their day to day or really enjoying because there are a lot of resources, a lot of fun stuff you can do. Because by definition, virtual environment is infinite, only limited by the the coders who end up designing uh, that land. So in the simplest of form, it's more most fundamental space. That's essentially what it is, which is a, a virtual environment that's made up of pixels where people come and gather, exchange thoughts, communicate, and do activity together, similar to what you will do uh, in real life. And what's really driving uh, this is a few converging forces, right? Things are becoming more and more digital. You tend to spend a lot more time on your phone, your iPod, uh, iPad, your, I just said iPod. Um, <laughs> back in the day. Um, uh, back in the days, right? Um, your laptop, your PlayStation, and so forth. And this trend is continuing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no slowing this down. By that virtue, you know, iPhone was, what, 15, 16 years ago uh, at this point was the first iPhone launched. We haven't seen a significant change in technology tool set since then. But what we are starting to see is the embeddedness of AR and Mm -hmm. VR headsets, uh, right? Where people have a more immersive experience in the environment, right? Where the haptics become even more uh, relevant. So so that's the world we are driving towards. So, and, and that's what Metaverse is, where all of these IoT devices as well as communication channels, start interacting seamlessly in this virtual environment, which we tend to call a metaverse, uh, because these are all these meta activities and components that come into play to enable that is is, is how I would, uh, you know, see, see this out, essentially. Yeah, I, I think that's a really succinct and, and thoughtful way to put it, uh, because I think one of the core differences is if someone looks at a video game today, you cut it on, you cut it off, right? And for the most part, you know, and until maybe a few years ago, and I think Fortnite was one of the first games to do this. And at the time it blew my mind when I was younger, I was super into video games. But the idea that traditionally, if you had an Xbox, that's the network you're bound to. If you're on a PlayStation. Yeah. And so if you had a buddy, you know, you want to play a game together, it's like, ah, oh, we can't do it because you got that system and I got this operating system and we can't talk. And uh, in the video game world, obviously the constraints being the architecture of the systems and then, you know, what agreements they set up to kind of get their territory from a network broadband uh, right. perspective. But almost for people, if you can imagine how weird it would be if just because your friend had an iPhone and you had a, a Galaxy, you couldn't text them. Yeah. That would be so and- bizarre. 
And, and it, exactly, it'd be so bizarre. Like, like think about it, right? So growing up, I used to play a bunch of Age of Empire or like Call mm-hmm. of Duty with friends and the network involved. But this was within this walled garden approach, right? Where I can do certain things within a certain gaming studio's environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can do certain things within this gaming environment. Now, those barriers get removed, right? And that's where metaverse get interesting. When you say building games on blockchain, the idea behind that and the market is you remove these barriers and these walls, these rails that existed that allowed individuals to participate in an environment only uh, by that gating factor of that entity uh, itself, right? That's controlling the game, the software, everything in between. But now this new layer within blockchain and what the crypto enables is dissolving all of those walls, right? If you can enable any game studio, any individual to participate in the broad landscape without any restrictions, without any interoperability issues, without any issue of uh, what different activity you can do within it, and you have a medium of exchange, you know, you buy skins with one currency, but you can swap it out for something else. You can communicate, you can pay to communicate, for example, within that environment. You can upgrade, up level yourself using a currency that's built for another game, but now it's swappable in this game as well, because there, there are underlying rails that enable that. That is beautiful, right? Because at that point, I don't care much about what. Uh, virtual environment is I'm, I'm in, but actually what I'm doing, right? Because everything else around me has been, become frictionless, seamless. So that is the added layer. What makes Metaverse so exciting is the technology. But more often than not, what I see in the market is people have it the other way around. Where people mm-hmm. are more excited about the technology, but less about what it can enable. And that's where a lot of the wires get crossed. Like, why do we need blockchain? Why do we need technology? Why do we need crypto? You're probably right. You don't. Start thinking from an environment as to what the problems exist right now. Now look at what the technologies that's available that can solve for those problems. Mm-hmm. And once you get into that mindset, you can, okay, it makes sense, right? It opens up a lot of, uh, or just, you know, dissolves a lot of walls that previously existed. Now this technology tool set, it does not. And people are excited about it. Mm-hmm. Now, well, let's continue with that three or four second. I had never heard of Improbable prior to the other side meta demo. Now, I'd heard about some of these events that use the technology, but I hadn't heard of Improbable itself. And for anybody who's listening, if you may, if you don't know, Improbable basically is this tech stack. Uh, so think to yourself, maybe like Unity or Unreal Engine, how those enable people to create uh, games or just, you know, 3D rendered environments. Improbable is something similar, but instead of them worrying about uh, transactions per second, like a lot of blockchains do, some have started going to, you know, finality instead of transactions. They think about operations per second. And I listened to an interview uh, with their founder and it was fascinating just to think about to what scale they claim they can already handle right now and where they're taking that. Because at some point, call it 2012, 2013, I stopped following, you know, the games conferences and stopped following how a lot of those technologies were developing. But when I heard about what Improbable was doing, I was floored because in my head, I'm like, so why is there a 64 person cap, you know, on PlayStation or Xbox? And y'all talk about y'all could get some millions and millions of people in this environment. And, and I just say that to, to uh, uh, lay up the question, being in biz dev, you st- 
you talk to a lot of people. I do it for Palm, right? You have a lot of conversations. A lot of shit comes across your desk. Some of it is amazing. Some of it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. But what is, what is something that you've seen that maybe, and maybe people know about it, maybe they don't, but what is some core piece of technology or capability that you have seen, and you don't have to get specific if you don't feel like it, but what is something that has really impressed you or opened up your mind as far as like, whoa, now that I see this and know that this exists, now I understand some other implications or the timeline on certain things that maybe I thought were further out, but are much closer than, than, than what otherwise, otherwise be the case without this piece of software, technology, so on. Yeah. Um, so what I'll caveat that by saying, so from a software technology lens, I think you get different flavors of pretty much the same thing. At least what I've come, 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 came across my table, right? Where what really gets me excited about how the team have started to thinking differently about business models, because that I think is where most of the space currently lacks that understanding mm -hmm. is having business models that support um, uh, the right economic nature behind the scenes, right? Um, so a couple of areas that that really excites me around that lens is you know so i've, I've been following axie infinity right and i've participated in step in so they have created a really novel like tokenomics model right it's a different story why things work or why things haven't worked and i think it goes back to my earlier comment around how we have it reversed where we're thinking about mm -hmm. the tokenomics first the technology first instead of the uh, the the what people actually enjoy doing, right? So I, I love like how a lot of gaming studios, whether it be Web2 native or blockchain native gaming studios, have uh, changed that mindset. What they're really thinking about now is actually building the right games, building the right story, building the right narrative, and and the exciting part of the technology is like how they have been able to leverage the existing wallets where people use mm. uh, to store their NFTs, embed it into an architecture that they have developed in-house, and enable that technology tools that they've created in-house, use this wallet aspect, and ask them to, hey, you own a board ape NFT, or you own a gutter cat gang NFT. Let us use that, create a 3D model of it. That becomes your avatar in the game that you're going to play. And whenever you are in our environment, you can use your NFT to be your avatar to play in the game that we are creating. And then we, because we are creating such an exciting game, we'll reward you in our native crypto for the activities that you do, your participation, what you will do, uh, and so forth. So I think that's what's starting to change right so that's on uh, what i would say the business model and how people are starting to think about integrating different uh siloed things that have existed making something people really enjoy why i enjoy call of duty is because of the gaming component the story behind it not because i'm getting some rewards or uh level up yes that's a rush but that's not it so you know same thing with age of empires i'm doing something that's enjoyable Right now, that's missing in, in this world, right? Uh, bombing and breeding, it, it can be enjoyed <laughs> only for so long, right? Um, like, yeah, what do I do? Just look at <laughs> my uh -huh. cat's breeding for all day. Um, 
So, so that's the element that's missing. And the other uh, exciting technology tool set um, that I came across is, I mean, working with one of this project called uh, ThriveCoin, uh, what they're really doing is building on-chain analytics, right? So think of it from a DAO's perspective. What DAO's currently miss is, and, and, and the best if you want to take that, this is the future of organization, for example, right? Mm-hmm. And the different flavors of DAO. Uh, when you think like when I hire, say, one or when someone hires Ron, they want to be able to check, OK, this person is legit, has done some code. Is there some on-chain analytics activity that I can do to verify this person who say uh, they say they are, they've actually delivered? So a lot of this activity is being captured between both Web2 and Web3 tools. On Web2, you have your Discord, you have your Twitter, uh, doing a bunch of other Slack activity and so on and so forth. On, on a Web3 side, you have like, uh, snapshot, you have discourse and all of these tool sets that have been, but they're also disconnected. Mm-hmm. So this, this company is they're trying to bring all of that information together, package it such that it becomes your pretty much an identity of a sort, mm-hmm. right? And store this information, this contribution that you're doing on various uh, layers, various uh, platforms, various communication tools becomes this underlying identity metadata that allows you to pull from one DAO, for example, to the other, if you want to work with, say, a Bankless DAO, or you wanted to work with a Syndicate DAO, like, how do I verify you that you have done something? Now you can carry mm-hmm. this sort of a non-fungible profile, if you will, with yeah. you, and that showcases, okay, this person has been active, this is an active contributor on this chain, this many votes they have done, um, these are the kind of uh, you know assets that they hold. And you can do this all in a pseudonymous way, and I can verify, okay, this is a legit person. This will add, person will add value to my community, to my project, whatever the case may be. So, so that's that's what getting getting me really excited as I come through some of these uh, projects uh, across the table. I definitely think that in the the next few years, we are going to see much more innovation and and use of leveraging of systems and protocols like that that allow someone to maintain that pseudonymity because I, I fully believe that is one of the core pillars of, of what really makes this thing tick all of crypto in a way that is different from just a database uh, is that ability to associate all of that data with somebody but not need their social security number not need their employee login you know XYZ company that can get revoked once you leave and having that information can now uh, improve other products and services prime example uh these these over collateralized lending and borrowing services right if there's a way to tie to that identity like hey this person always pays back their loans they've never gotten liquidated or the liquidations have been very rare very small then you can now start to play with those parameters when you go into a platform and say all right usually it's a you know 60 or 120 130 percent whatever loan to value ratio However, they collateralize it, you can start to play with these levers and make it a little bit more liberal and generous for someone who's been a good actor in the past. And then someone who's maybe not been such a great actor, maybe you don't bar them for it. Or maybe that is a parameter in your platform. It's like, hey, we don't even want this sort of risky DGN behavior on this platform. So, you know, hate that it sucks to suck. But with this particular profile, you know, you can't connect it. You're going to have to start another wallet to do whatever. And then we start to take that application and see how that can be applied in these metaverse environments where uh, by default, it's like there, there's no police in the metaverse, yeah. right? 
And uh, it's, it's, it's an open question on how these games will enforce good and bad behavior the same way in like a Call of Duty server. If you have a cheat bot, they have a way to scan for that. And if they catch you, they kick you from the server right. and they can ban you from ever connecting with that account. And if you prestiged it to whatever level, now it's like that's gone because you've cheated and you've been caught. But that's not in yeah. place in this moment in the metaverse. So uh, I, I'm fully convinced that those sorts of protocols that really aggregate all of that info are going to be critical components, just like wallets are like, duh, whenever we connect today, you know, some sort of profile uh, that shows consistent behavior is going to be the same way in a few years. I 100% agree. And, and that's exactly to the point, right? So I think when you look at an evolution cycle of any space, what typically happens, projects will start testing ideas at a broader level, right? So there will be a lot of fragmentation amongst it. It was the same case true when ICOs were big back in, in, in 2017, 88, <laughs> right? And you started having this, oh, fungible token for this, fungible token for that. But it did pave way for actually really good projects that were building as a platform on which a lot of other applications could be built. I think the same will happen within the metaverse space as well, right? People like to ding it a lot, but what's really happening behind the scene is creating this infrastructure layer which will largely enable interoperability because right now people are thinking interoperability from a very narrow lens of mm -hmm. just one protocol to the other without actually having any utility like how many people really care about and i, I should even scale back how many people really even interact with dexes for example at the moment as much as you tout the interoperability between within an ecosystem and being able to swap a coin or not it still has not penetrated the mass market what mass market and and that's where nfts become so, so popular is because it enabled interacting with highly technical and sophisticated products and concepts with a very bare minimum profile picture or an art or something to redeem with, something that users at large are already comfortable interacting with in real life. This just enables a much larger marketplace and opens doors for creators, right? The user base can still come in and interact in a similar fashion. Again, most of these NFT projects may not be worth investing in. So I'm not trying to uh, say that everything you see up there is 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 worth exploring. That's you've got to do your own research. But the point being, these tools are enabled now. What you're seeing is these tool sets have become now. You're testing a much broader concept around gaming, around interactivity, around the metaverse. Where, as I mentioned, all of these converging forces are coming. Now you start building tool sets for this broad concept. Because this is sort of in place, now you start building what are the right tools? What are the problem areas that we currently see? How do you enable? Because games, we have identified as being one of the space where people come, understand it very uh, easily, and they use that as a tool to you know, start linking all the other things that you're building, whether it be the DAO or the crypto economics, the interoperability, um, capturing data on chain and everything in between right so it has it's going to offer you that base wide infrastructure layer on which you can continue building on yeah and it's super necessary and and uh i'm grateful that we're having more and more tools come about that make putting these contracts together and thinking of these use cases way easier than it used to be uh because 
Ultimately, it's like we have to get this where people can more quickly take their thoughts and then translate that to an actual usable uh, product or, or service or platform. Because uh, then other people can go, all right, cool, you built this thing that I, I didn't know I needed. Now I realize I need it. Let me grab that. And then let me grab this. Let me grab that. And then I think that's why it, it really becomes parabolic, not in just the attention in the space, but the, the speed at which quality products and platforms and applications are being deployed. Because several years ago, you know, it's like you you were happy if you found a web page that, you know, had the margins formatted the right way, you know, and like <laughs> reflow. And now, you know, we're, we're seeing you know, UX is kind of getting figured out a little bit and and it's it's making it easier for people to come in and not feel like, oh, this is some super niche crypto shit. But just like, oh, this looks like a, a SaaS product or this looks like a, you know, uh, XYZ sort of thing. And I think that's, you know, rising tide raises all ships and on, on that front there. Um, so let, let me let me ask you real quick. Yeah. So right now, when you when you are interacting as a user within the space, do you think in crypto terms when you're doing interaction when you're buying stuff say on NFT, are you still thinking in dollar terms? Oh, that's a doozy. So up until I ain't gonna lie to you, Rohan. Up until I, 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 the market crashed, mm. I was thinking in crypto terms okay. because. You know, several years ago, the main thing I was focused on was accumulating ETH, right? Like I had the Bitcoin and everything, but that focus on Ethereum back when it was sub $300, when it got up to three, 4,000, I'm still yeah. looking like, okay, cool. This is my unit of account and crypto land, right? right? So that's the number I'm watching because in my mind, I'm like, cool, long term, the value USD wise or fiat wise is going to fluctuate. But I caught myself in this situation where for the longest, I was, I was pretty, I would say relative to people who've been in the space for years, I was late to NFTs. I bought one from um, Nifty Gateway in January of last year. It was like a monster cat joint. And then it took a few months and I was in between doodles and jungle freaks. They had like launched very similarly. And I picked the fucking jungle freak, man. No one could have foreseen what happened. <laughs> but, uh, but anyhow, I then went super hard toward like the Q4 of last year, just trying to educate myself and get more immersed in the NFT side because I was so deep in like the tokens and the crypto side. But then when the market started collapsing and I, I lost a good deal of, of bread because my timing was not right, I had to yeah. sit back and say, okay, <laughs> at this <laughs> moment, we got to get our fiat balance sheet back right. And so I realized that psychologically, when you're looking at something like one ETH, and you're not looking at $4,000 or 5000 right. you know, whatever it is, the, the habits from just a human psychology standpoint can get a little out of balance for, for, for what made yeah. sense for me. And so I had to really bring it back and say, okay, before I'm like, oh, that's just 0.2 ETH. Be like, all right, that's just $400. That's just $500. And like, am I going to, yeah. why am I going to spend that on this? And it helped me be a little bit less impulsive and, and see something, do my diligence, but still wait a bit. And be patient for both the market to really figure out where is this price going um, and for me to sit back and be like, all right, was I FOMOing a bit or is this something that I really want to add to my portfolio for the long term? So um, but I think for people who are crypto natives, they view it all in crypto terms. And then people who are coming into the space, they want to understand what it's priced at in dollars. And I think we really see this demonstrated by how a lot of the brands are doing it, where a lot right. of brands are even removing the word NFT. From the collection, at least that's that's yeah. the kind of trend they're going to. If they're not, you know, like some of the ones in the top five on that Dune dashboard we saw recently, uh, and that's because people think differently and they understand it better, and it's actually easier for them to make a choice if they're just looking. Right. Oh, okay, 
that's a hundred bucks. That's 50 bucks versus trying to do all this math of what's a fraction of an Ethereum or a fraction of Solana or something like that. What about you? Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Right. Like initially when I started investing and started like dabbing into the space, I was all about like, oh, this is my, you know, retirement portfolio. Or this is, <laughs> I'll, I'll liquidate this into USD and I'm good. But I think over the years, what I've realized is slowly but steadily, this will um, bite into the broader share of how we view fiat as, right? This is sort of setting itself as the new fiat in some which way or form, right? Where your marketplaces, your, um, you know, any interaction channel will start accepting things in these native currencies so to speak right until that shift happens i think majority of the folks will still think of it as like x token us dollar value mm -hmm. y token us dollar value this is what I, how much i have not in terms of i have 28 or 38 or 108 or 208 um and and i think what the reason why i asked this is that is going to be the inflection point in this space itself, right? When people are so immersed in this environment where they don't care much about the US value attached to it, they're able to use the market, you know, the marketplaces in this environment to purchase using other assets, other tokens, right? And it just becomes the swap, the exchange mechanism for that token within that environment instead of extrinsic forces so until that happens the broader market sentiment will continue to drive it from a us dollar versus a token perspective and and that's essentially what's holding i feel the entire space back is most people look at it as either a speculation asset which in some cases it is or, or just a complete ponzi because there's no real use case happening yeah. Right. I'm a firm believer that these tokens will become the embedded currency medium of exchange within the environments that are being created, whether it be mm -hmm. the DAOs, whether it be um, the metaverse uh, environment. Um, and, and, you know, people will have to start thinking and accumulating these assets sooner than later, um, because otherwise you'll always feel like you're late in the game. Um, so it's it's a very hard switch. It's a very hard switch till you actually mm -hmm. see value. But once you start seeing value, it's like your mind's like, okay, that makes automatic sense, uh, right? And a lot of mm -hmm. uncertainty in the space is caused by the, the commentary around whether they're securities, whether they're not securities, yeah. different countries, different regulations have their own um, uh, system in place. But once that inflection point uh, happens, and that's why I'm such a big believer in the concept of metaverse, bringing all of these tool sets together. Because once you create a lot of tools where people are, people understand, interact, and, uh, you know, want to be a part of, you cannot help but, uh, you know, interact in that local currency, right? You don't go to, for example, India or uh, or Europe and tell like, I'm going to only pay in US dollars. Exactly. You are forced to purchase <laughs> in Euro or in rupees or whatever the currency, right? So mm -hmm. we'll start seeing that happen where, uh, but once these sort of nation states equivalent get established on mm -hmm. the, in the virtual world.
And I think a testament to the fact that that is becoming more commonplace and that the rails exist to do it is when you go to a marketplace like gym.xyz. And I love the feature when you check out, you can pay with as many different uh, digital assets as you feel like. And it's so fluid and seamless. And when I saw that feature, I was like, when in the hell will OpenSea integrate this? Because this is killer. And it's literally like you just described. If you could go to any country and then without having some crazy conversion tax or there having to be this long conversion process, whatever you had, you could hand to them. And in real time, because they had an Oracle, they knew what the conversion rate was. There was no issue on their end accepting it or being able to hold it. And then that way, you don't even have to think to yourself necessarily, oh, do I have the right keys to this lock to get this thing? You're just like, hey, I have something that's valuable to this group of people and I can use it with this group of people because there's a system that will allow them to automatically convert it to whatever they want it to be once the transaction takes place. And I think that that in and of itself is like a microcosm of what the metaverse is supposed to be. You stop things from being this uh, super hard, rigid, walled garden and say, hey, now that we exist on sort of rails, that have enough common commonality in, in place, uh, but are flexible enough, your experience should be far more seamless. And there should be less discrimination about what you have. Because, you know, it's like certain countries that are not US, but they don't even want to use their local currency because of all the things. And obviously there's a lot more going on with like how the central bank handles it and this, then the third. Yeah. But ultimately it's a form of discrimination if you won't even take this form of money, but it's money. And uh, and I just don't think that we're trained to think about it in that way because that's how it has always been. Yeah. Well, well, I'll challenge that actually. I, I don't know when you were born, Sayon, but if you look at the uh, internet um, uh, space, right, it was the same thing that was happening back in late '90s when the brick and mortar stores were like, "Why do we need internet? Why do we need to create a marketplace? Yeah. Right? Like, cash works. Cash is great. Right? That still exists." Same thing would happen back in early 1900s when the you know buggies and horse carts existed, but then Ford came along and be like, mm-hmm. you know, here's your gas border. Like, yes, you still had people who were using and still use horse carts to travel, maybe in some rural parts. Kudos to them. But the majority of the society has gone into a completely different transition. I think the same shift we saw like right now, if you do not have a web marketplace. Do you even exist? I mean, mm-hmm. no dang at anyone, any mom and pop shops. I think they're great for local communities. But if you want to scale as a business, you have to have a presence somewhere, right? And there are tools built around it. I think we're see- seeing the similar transition happening. We're like, okay, now it's time not just for communication or new marketplace being created, but a medium of exchange within these marketplaces. You created all of these marketplaces, but you still control them with very, uh, sorry, medieval way of uh, exchanging (laughs) assets on it, right? You have a large payment networks controlling it, taking fees out of it. You have, uh, you know, various banks taking a cut out of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's like little players embedded in every nook and corner. At the end of the day, um, the losers are the folks, the merchants who are taking, who have to give in to that cut that's being demanded because the monopoly has been existed. If you remove all of that and create a marketplace, for example, that doesn't have these intermediaries, that's a world where it's a, peer-to-peer interaction that's where it all started bitcoin Mm -hmm. right 
I interact with you, Merchant Savon, and I'm your customer. Let's have an interaction. Let's remove Ooh. everyone in between and just one fees, which is your network gas fees that you have to pay. Don't have to worry about anyone in between. So we are looking at a financial disruption in this very moment. And that's the underlying theme a lot of people end up missing when they're trying to build a broader uh, sense of, okay, what are we going? Where are we going to? Right. So there's an age of, for example, <laughs> in disrupting the mode of transportation. There was an age of disruption of mode of mm-hmm. um, communication. There was a, now there's an age of disruption of financial systems. And that has to be the underlying theme. All right. I think that that could set us up perfectly to, for, for one last topic. And that makes me it really brings us back full circle to ApeCoin. So yeah. when I think about that, that sort of uh, example you just laid out to me, you know, in my mind, you have Bitcoin. You have ETH. Those are in the uh, you have some stable coins and more and more. I'm, I'm a die uh, maximalist <laughs> as we see some <laughs> of this shit that's going on. Um, but. When I think about a lot of the altcoins that exist on top of the Ethereum network, um, to me, those now begin to represent local currencies within a place where many, many hundreds of years ago, you may have had a dominant currency that you knew that the crown would accept. But in your local jurisdictions, just like you have a dialect, they may have used different items uh, to exchange value with each other. And the thing that I'm curious about is when you all were helping with the staking protocol and, and kind of just the idea of how should a coin work, how early on were you all, and, and we spoke about this earlier about what's the use case, not just the technology, but a few weeks ago, there was an announcement that certain Gucci stores would accept ApeCoin, and there's been some collaborations there. How important do you think it is, and then how does a, a, a protocol or, or, or a project that may want to release its own native token, that process of saying, all right, how do we get partners so that this is something that can be used in a way that adds greater utility, even if you don't own an asset within the ecosystem uh, other than that token itself. That's a tricky thing. It is a tricky thing. If you would have asked me this question six months ago, I'd be saying like, now nah, we'll figure it out along the way, right? Like yeah. this is very early. But as you know, the space moves at warp speed. Now, what I'm starting to notice and what a lot of the folks that I end up talking to I think having these right strategic partnerships is pretty much a survival game at this point for any project <laughs> to be in. If you don't have the right strategics to work with you, who believe in you, who want to use your token as a way to bring the masses in, I'll be surprised if the, a lot of these projects survive uh, beyond the 18-month period since they're launched, for example, right? So you want to be very mindful of Starting all the way from who you bring on to your special counsel, for example, as part of your DAO, can they help you open up some of the networks? What kind of investors, for example, you want to have on your cap table? Can they enable some of those utilities, right? Um, what are you thinking about from a marketplace, for example, if you're that be accepting your token, what will that enable? Is it just the digital environment? Are you trying to create a digital and physical connectivity using your token? Okay, who are the right merchants that relates well with your brand? Are you in the fashion side of the world? Do you want to be on the entertainment side? Okay, you figure that piece out. Okay, what is the layer that connects, right? Is it going to be, you want to have deeper entrenched partnership with say Coinbase Pay, MoonPay, uh, BitPay, that will enable that layer 
right? Because most of these uh, merchants who will eventually accept tokens, it's not like they're necessarily holding it on their balance sheet. They're using an intermediary to, to hold that too. So all of those pieces really need to come together. And you want to surround yourself with folks who can open those doors up. And the projects that will eventually do that will are, are set for success, right? It's as again, like with any pre-seed, seed stage, early stage startup, the bets of going bust is very high. But once you have these right elements in play, the right advisors in play, your probability of success is higher than the rest of the pack. So that's the balance that you're really trying to do. So to long and to short is without having those right players in place, it would be very hard for projects to really scale or succeed um, in any which way or form. Couldn't agree more. All right, before we head out of here, uh, this first one is optional, right? I don't know what sort of, you know, processes y'all have at Horizon, things you can and can't speak on. you through the binger, but okay. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, it's like, we're going to take your time. If you're going to make the time, <laughs> let's make this a damn worthwhile conversation where people for can sure. learn something. You know, this is for the yeah. power users and the, and the, the, the novices alike. Um, so one last question, this is kind of just for fun, is, uh, and then you can let people know where they can find you, how they can get in touch with Horizon Labs, and then we'll sign off. But other than other side meta, Right, which if you haven't heard of it, you're going to hear about it. Board Ape Yacht Club, you collapse. Aside from them, what, if any, other metaverse type projects or environments are you looking at or you find interesting for some reason or another? Yeah, um, I think there are, I think, two or three projects that really come to mind, right? I'm really uh, bullish on the, some of the things Sandbox is doing. Um, I think. The way they're thinking about building the partnerships is very interesting to me. Um, and uh, so so that's one of the projects. The other is Illuvium, uh, is a very cool project within the space that's uh, enabling a lot of uh, cool metaverse environments where it's beyond just, uh, just gaming, right? <laughs> so that, that's what I'm really excited about. Um, so those three. So other side, uh, Sandbox, Illuvium, I think. Uh, what I'm really been watching closely, and the reason is 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 this, right? Because the, the, at the end of the day, these are all kind of the base layer, the protocol infrastructure, whatever the term you want to call it, for this environment. And more often than not, there's room for only two, three is a stretch players to exist in tandem. So I'm highly bullish on other side as the metaverse environment that's going to prevail. Now it just leaves space for one or two others. Same thing we are starting to see. Uh, within the layer one ecosystem, right? Ethereum has established itself. There's probably room for one or more. Uh, maybe a Solana, maybe, I don't know, an Avalanche, maybe a Horizon. I, it's <laughs> still too early, right? So that's how I view the world as. Um, and those three projects really uh, excite me and I'm curious to see what comes next. Right on. Well, Rohan, this has been amazing. Learned a lot, man. This has been a great chat. If you could, please let the folks know where they can find you to get in touch with you uh, and where they can go to learn more about Horizon Labs. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, well, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, so I can give my link to my LinkedIn after it. Um, I do go around scrolling on Twitter and just follow a few people, just interesting chat, but I'm not that as active as I should be, I should say. But I'll definitely leave my uh, LinkedIn address so you can DM me directly there and connect with me there to uh, chat and learn more. And then where do they get in contact with Horizon Labs? For Horizon Labs, uh, you can just go to our website and uh, contact us page there. Those emails typically come through me or our marketing team. So we'll reach out. Okay. 
Perfect. Well, thank you, Rohan. Once again, this has been awesome. And I look forward to the next one, brother. You take care. Fantastic. Thanks, everyone, for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely.